Hey everyone, we're back. We're back for another episode of Calvero Speaks. If you've been a listener of this show, I'm very grateful, and I wanted to start by apologizing for the delay of this episode. There's been a lot going on. Um, First of all, on a positive note, I've had an immense amount of creative energy, and I've really wanted to put all that energy I can into my work, the musical work, the songwriting, the... um, you know, the productions. I've also been working on this one song that's been a massive undertaking and I've been really diving in and trying to get that done. And then the subsequent burnout, you know how it goes. So uh, yeah, I think I had a bit of a creative wave, which I always try to ride because it doesn't happen all the time. As for, It doesn't really happen like that fervently. Um, sometimes I just put the hours in and do what I gotta do, but when I'm seriously compelled and really driven, like I said, I gotta ride that wave, and those waves, unfortunately, are usually punctuated, as I said, with a period of burnout, which is something I need to work on with myself. It's balance. So after a really productive period, I realized my mental health was kind of taking a turn for the worse, and I gave myself a self-imposed mental health week off, hung around in sweatpants, went on some long walks, some jogs, read a book by my friend Sash Geffen called Glitter Up the Dark, watched The Muppet Show. Oh, I just got a notification. Okay, anyways. Um, and I just slowly started to feel like human again, which is good. So I've been uh, readjusting back to my working schedule and it's been going all right. I was struggling with some sleep problems. I, I was uh, just waking up every night at anywhere between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. and just a lot of subsequent anxiety and was just like having weird broken up sleep. Although I did read that apparently before the advent of the light bulb that most people would sleep in chunks where they would go to sleep at 7 or 8 p.m. and then they would wake up at midnight and then they'd be up for another three or four hours then they'd sleep again and so the idea of getting like a solid seven or eight hours through the night is a a relatively new thing for us humans but it I I will say it feels better (laughs) feels better to get a, a full eight hours so I'm kind of, I was struggling with that for a week or two, and I think I've got it under control. I was putting a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on myself um, for sleeping, and I'm kind of back. This is like, we're at, this is 7 a.m. right now that I'm talking to you, and I'm kind of back to waking up early, going to bed early, and um, yeah, just trying to, trying to find my balance, folks. It's a process. It's a process. So... So I feel like I'm uh, back on the mend, feel better about tackling more things like this podcast. By the way, I got some feedback that apparently I've had some plosives, some plosives in uh, in previous episodes. So I'm trying to try to do this farther away from the microphone. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So... Give me, give me some feedback, folks. Let me know. Let me know if uh, this sounds any better, uh, and 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 we'll get it. Um, so yeah, I think going back to my sleep issues and the burnout and whatever, I think I have a a problem that I'm still 
too hard on myself and I need to keep telling myself that I'm doing my best and that's okay. We've all got our shit going on and we live in this fucking white supremacist country with such horrific violence and we've got this pandemic and I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety, strangely enough, about the pandemic ending and having to re-enter society and the looming climbing climate catastrophe and whatnot. It's just a lot to take in. So, so yeah, delaying the podcast because of workload, trying to listen to and accommodate my mental health. And, uh, and to be perfectly honest, I think I've also kind of been avoiding sitting down and thinking about this episode or this part in the narrative that we're continuing because it's a story that has a good deal of trauma for me. And I think trauma is a word that I think is kicked around a lot these days. And I hope that I'm using it appropriately, but it's a story that I want to tell. And it's a story that I think will be useful for me to unpack. And uh, so I'm going to break this, the I'm going to break it up into two parts because I don't want this episode to be too long. So I think this is more I'm going to dip my toe into it. And then, um, so yeah. So, um, so yeah, again, I'm sorry for the delay, but let's get, get back into it. Um, wanted to start with a couple quick plugs. I'd first of all like to invite you to join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Calvero Sings. And I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. I've been putting a good deal of effort into it and trying to provide something pretty substantial every week. I've been writing a lot of personal essays about online fandom, the music that I've been into and why. I've been making playlists. I've been sharing behind-the-scenes videos of works in progress. I've been doing little vlogs to talk about and been doing a lot. It's been really fun. And I've also been sharing monthly songwriting demos for the $5 all-access tier of unreleased songs or demos of the songs I've put out. Uh, this week, I'm actually, or last week actually, I, I shared a full song that I, this is not a demo, it's a full song that I made between Vanishing Streets and You Are The Only One, which I have no plans on releasing in, in, to the public. Um, but if you're a member, you can hear it whenever you want. And I've also got the original songwriting demo for Vanishing Streets. Um, I've got, uh, yeah, I forget what it, there's, yeah, there's a couple of demos on there because, because we've been up since December. So yeah, if you, there's a, there's a demo of a song that, um, that hasn't been released yet. So, uh, so yeah, if you haven't check it out, I've got a link in my, got a link in the show notes. If you sign up, you'll get access to the full archive of posts and it's the best way right now for you to support me and my work. And I try to give a lot in return. So I hope you'll join me with that. Also, if you're interested in taking some remote songwriting lessons with me via Zoom, uh, I just put together a nice little website for that, and I'll leave that information in the show notes. It's got all the details about my teaching, the rates, some testimonials, so check it out if that's something you've been interested in. I've found it to be really gratifying and fun to do. Finally, I've got a newsletter that I send out every month or two with a personal essay about whatever's on my mind, usually about music, the music business, the creative process, or just me. Uh, there's some updates. So yeah, there's a link in the show notes if you'd like to sign up and get that in your inbox. 
So, all right, plugs, plugs have finished. So let's get into it. Now, uh, I want to continue the narrative that I started with the first episode, and I, I apologize if there's any sort of repetitions that happen. There's going to be some recaps for you, maybe for me, because I mean, I'm not going to listen to the fucking hours of podcasts I've done already. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think this will work as a standalone, uh, but if you'd like to get caught up, um, to get the full experience, the full Calvero extended universe, um, check out the earlier episodes and, uh, or you can always go back later and I'm sure it will be fine regardless and we'll all be fine and everything's going to be fine. So my friend Dave Marr has a great newsletter called Hella Immaculate that I'd recommend everyone sign up for. It always makes me think and I think he puts himself out there emotionally with a degree of honesty even if it might make him look bad, that I think is pretty unusual and I think it's pretty valuable. And a few weeks back, he had this newsletter that was pretty interesting timing for me to read. And I'll link it in the show notes, but he had, he was talking about hustle culture and how hustle culture, particularly online hustle culture, valorizes failure. People with that mindset will often say things like, I can't wait to fail again because it just gets me closer to that win. That's something that I've often heard in uh, in terms of the pop music industry or the hip-hop music industry where if you're writing pop songs, you're pitching song after song after song and then maybe eventually and you just get rejected over and over again or an artist records a song and then they forget about it or, or it doesn't make the album and it's just rejection after rejection after rejection and then finally maybe you'll get something that comes out uh ross golan who has the who's a pop songwriter he has a podcast called and the writer is i i heard him say something on the podcast it it was something like if you write a song every day for 30 days and in a month and one song of those 30 songs makes it onto an album and you do that once every month then statistically you're one of the greatest and most successful songwriters of all time. So it's just a lot of output and uh, a lot of rejection. So I just can't wait to fail again because it just gets me closer to that win. The idea being that successful people are unafraid of failure and that in fact it is the key to their success. They believe in themselves so much that they know that if they move forward past rejection or whatever, that they're just going to get where they want to go. And Dave's point in the newsletter was that when he feels rejected or when he feels like a failure, often his friends will give him advice on how to shake it off and keep moving forward. I know I've been that friend for him and he's been that friend for me. But he said for that moment, he's really just looking for someone to wallow with. He's just looking for some solidarity at that time, someone to relate to so he can just feel bad. And it made me laugh because that's kind of an unusual message to put out there. The usual, more comforting message is more like shake it off and keep going. And that's fine and good, but it's just not as easy for people, especially people who have a tendency towards depression or anxiety. 
which I'd have to believe is relatively common for people in the arts. It's much harder not to fall in that hole if you're not finding that outward affirmation that you need to feel like you're doing a good job, especially if your default position is to feel like no one cares or to feel like you're worthless or you made terrible choices that you'll never recover from. So I think there's a lot of wisdom to what Dave says, but it's also a fine line. You don't want to just wallow forever and just ruminate with a sense of defeat or anger or despair or whatever. I mean, we've talked a lot about early on in the podcast, we've talked a lot about that. But at the same time, the expectation that we're supposed to fall flat on our face, feel rejected, feel ignored and just shake it off like we're bulletproof or Superman or some shit and just keep moving forward. I mean, forgive me if I'm brash, but maybe that's fine and good for the most self-assured fucking meathead who has never had a moment of self-reflection or self-doubt. But that doesn't seem like a very healthy or human way of dealing with things either. So a month or two ago, the, the week Dave sent out his email, I was having a particularly rough week where I felt like I was dealing with a lot of personal rejection, a lot of failure, and I think it was just little things, some personal things. Maybe it was putting some stuff out on social media and feeling like it didn't land or that no one was interested, feeling insecure about where my career was at in relation to some people I knew personally and peripherally, and I felt rejected or forgotten or whatever, and... and and as I'm going through this, I'm still doing my work, my musical work, my lessons, the extra stuff I do, like the podcast, the newsletter, and I kept my routine, and I went on runs, and I think I was doing good work, but I was really sliding into kind of a dark place, and um, my depression brain was taking over, and I was starting to have those thoughts again, so that, that there is fundamentally something wrong with me that makes me undesirable to others that I just will never be able to fully understand or be able to do anything about. And that that definitely is something I felt as a kid. Like my brother had the fucking dorkiest friends. They were into like Final Fantasy and D&D. &D, and I thought they were the coolest people ever. And I tried to be a part of the friend group. Uh... But as a teenager, I was pretty fucking unhinged, or I think this was even younger than a teenager, but I was an edgelord and I was emotionally disturbed and I honestly didn't have much interest in D&D &D or Final Fantasy. Some of the anime they were into was cool. I got into Cowboy Bebop, but there was always this sense that I was a nuisance and there was a distance or a disconnect that I felt with those kids that I was more of a background character or an outsider. Um, for their tighter friendships. My brother was kind of a superstar in my high school's theater group called Stage Masters. He's three years older than me. When he was in high school, I was this demented freak in middle school, and I'd go to his shows and get autographs from the kids in the plays and everything. And when I got to high school, I just never got accepted into Stage Masters and that group. I could never get cast. And then eventually I'd get cast in bit parts, but I just felt locked out from this institution that had meant the world to me growing up. And obviously as a teenager, I was kind of a piece of shit and a bit notorious for, as I said, being an edgelord, an irony guy who had tendency to cross the line, 
Uh, but I, I just felt so rejected and I didn't understand what was wrong with me. And I, I felt like I was being rejected simply for being myself. And I didn't know what I had to do to change or if, if that was even possible. And uh, there's just that feeling that I think we all feel sometimes if, if we grow up and we valorize institutions. Again, this is something I've talked about, whether it's a high school theater group or it's the Grammys or it's people that get written about by Pitchfork or it's people that play at certain venues or whatever. There's just these certain institutions that if it, it can, you just feel like there's something wrong with yourself if, if you haven't been welcomed into that world or you haven't entered that world. So anyways, those feelings could stick with me. And when I when I see people, maybe people I used to know that move forward with their careers and achieve the dreams I had for myself and have this outward support system with people online on Twitter and Instagram, you know, comedians or musicians or actors or whatever. And who knows how superficial it all really is. I'm sure that it's social media, so I'm sure there's a certain degree of superficiality, but there's certainly this outward community of these peers who get press, who have been on TV, make some money or whatever, and they lift each other up and they always support each other. And that's something I sometimes view from where I'm at. And, and it similarly can make me feel left behind and rejected. And I don't know why I'm not accepted by those people. Why my hard work hasn't translated to success that theirs did. And in my rough week and saying it out loud, it's embarrassing and it's fucking whiny. And, and really, these are thoughts that you're best to um, to just learn how to just see them at face value and just not let it drive you fucking crazy. But it's easier, it's easier said than done. And I certainly was not doing a good job of letting that go. And I was uh, really spiraling out and I was trying to disregard those thoughts because it's something I talk about in therapy and it's something I've talked a lot about on this podcast, particularly the earlier episodes. And I've pretty much concluded that those are not helpful thoughts for me to have and so I tried to ignore it and push it away or reduce it to just inflated depression brain talking but I was still just really internalizing all those thoughts. It was making me dive into my work in a very unhealthy way and I realized that my driver had become really in spite of the people who I felt had rejected me or ignored me. And my revenge would be just to work at the highest level that I could. And I just felt very isolated and unbalanced and unhappy. And by the end of the week, just looking at my computer screen and Pro Tools, it would give me these incredibly painful migraines. And I knew that I'd gone into a very bad place and I had to hang it up for a week and just walk away. And this is really the root of the problems that I found myself in uh, for this story that I'm about to tell in the continuation of the narrative. So luckily I do have therapy. I have a safe place to live and take care of my mental health. And uh, but yeah, it's 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 the same old shit. And I think it's the same old shit for a lot of us. And and um I realized talking this through in therapy and getting to the other side of it, 
is that my big problem or one of my big problems was that I disregarded and invalidated my feelings of rejection and sadness. I just had this instinct of thinking, no, this is not helpful. And I tried to plug my ears and move forward, kind of like those hustle people Dave was talking about. That failure is part of the process and it just makes you stronger. You just move forward. But what I didn't do was spend time being present with those feelings and thoughts. My my therapist has said that that sometimes they they initially just talk to themselves like a kid, like they're consoling a little kid um, in that moment to just be there and to just to just feel it. And I didn't spend time being present with those feelings and thoughts. And instead of actually letting myself feel sad or feel rejected, my mechanism set into motion to maybe protect myself from feeling those things and just moving forward to vindicate myself through my work, through doing, through the act of doing. But you can't really move on unless you sit with that shit because it's incredibly normal things to feel, especially in this fucked up society. I know I'm sounding like the Joker right now, so sorry. Or Joker. He's he's not the Joker. He's Joker because he's fucking edgy. Like eagles. It's not the eagles. It's eagles. Don't get me started on this shit, folks. Whatever happened to a good the? Who remembers the the? Now that's band name. Anyways, I'm, I'm spitballing here. But uh, yeah, you can't really move on unless you sit with that shit. It's incredibly normal things to feel. Everyone feels it. The people that I'm envious of feel it. Maybe feel it worse. Doesn't matter where you're at. Look at how Kanye acts or Lana Del Rey acts or Bono acts. I'm sure they all feel it. Charlie XCX, I've seen. I mean, she's one of the artists I admire the most who's in the game. And she constantly posts about how she wishes that she had a bigger audience for her work even though she has all these accolades and all these streams on spotify so it's so it's really hard to to draw the line somewhere which is what again talked a lot about this already so i don't want to repeat myself but um but yeah i think that's why it's important for me to have these outlets the podcast and the newsletter Because it forces me to sit down and be present and unpack instead of just blindly trying to zoom forward or just dwelling and being lost in the fucking abyss, which is, you know, that that's really the balance that we all have to find for ourselves. So moving back to the narrative that we've got going on, the last episode was about making when I was your love. So I had already had this fantastic breakthrough After a year or two of aimlessly trying to figure out my music as a solo artist, I made that in Vanishing Streets with my dear friend and collaborator, Max, who I sadly, we all sadly lost in November of last year. And there was a lot of excitement, but at the same time, my mental health and my physical health was really quickly starting to deteriorate. And I was just ignoring it and I was trying to push things forward. As we just talked about, I had all these feelings of failure, of insecurity, of inadequacy, of loneliness and sadness and confusion that I was just completely fucking ignoring. I was just trying to speed through it all, maybe in order to protect myself. 
I'd broken up my band of five years after the failures of an album that I'd put so much hope into. And I never really let myself sit with that and, and take in the loss and feel sad about it. And I obsessed and I ruminated and I thought it might all be over as I described in the first episode of the podcast. But when I had my Calvero moment, when I decided that music, this is just what I do, I just jumped right into that process of finding my next wave, as it were. Feverishly writing songs, going into the studio, trying to figure it out. But I gave myself virtually no time and no space to mourn the end of that part of my life. The, the years of hope and expectations that resulted in uh, essentially a wet fart <laughs> of an album release. And not seeing it through the fractured, the fractured friendships, I just didn't allow myself to sit with any of this or be present with any of this. I just thought the only way that I could heal myself was to work harder and to achieve. But of course, that's not how it works, and it stayed with me. And there was a breakup I endured, and I, as I explained uh, in an early episode, a pretty normal experience for people to have especially in your 20s, you spend six months or a year with someone, it doesn't work out, you get hurt, you write some songs and you move on, if you're, if you're inclined to, to write songs. But for me, I was so without a paddle, as far as my own self-worth, that I internalized it all. I felt guilt, I felt inadequate. I thought it was because I was broke and I couldn't afford dates and I couldn't buy stuff. I think that's probably a talk, uh, product of our toxic, misogynist society that implies that it's the man's role to be a provider, to make money. And if you're not able to and you're struggling, then that creates a disconnect between you and how you've internalized how you're supposed to function in this society. And that can very well cause isolation and self-hatred or, or what have you. And so... I was at this point isolating myself. I was in limbo, nothing mattered, and none of my problems would be solved until I righted the wrongs of my failed bands and had some success and had some achievement. And anything else, any sort of outward life, just had to wait until I got to that next place. So as I was writing all of these songs, and as I was sending stuff out to my collaborator David uh, of Terra Jr. now out in LA, as the artist he was working with at the time was taking off in a big way, I kind of saw this way forward for me where I could get some songs cut by some big artists. By that point, my artist project would be figured out and I'd have all these connections and label interest or whatever. And that's when I'd fully arrive as the person who I wanted to be and there would be some big article in like Noisy or Pitchfork or some national um, publication that I could never get to pay attention to me before and that would be my big arrival, my big announcement moment. <laughs> and that's when I'd really arrive and be the person who I wanted to be. And in the meantime, I'd just keep my head down and lay low until I could be that person who I wanted to be but everything about my reality at the time made me feel like a failure, and all my hopes were based in the future, something to happen that I relied on other people or, or some sort of fate to happen for me. And I had been posting a lot on my personal Facebook. I, I know I've talked about this before. I, I started feeling like, man, ever since Angel Olsen took off, 
She does. She doesn't post on Facebook. She doesn't have to. Very Chicago thing to think at the time at uh, 20, 2016 or whatever. So, so being on Facebook made me feel like fucking loser. Made me feel like a commoner. And even though it had been my main way of interacting with people and connecting with people, and also of course seeking validation from it in unhealthy ways, as all social media is designed for us to do, I just checked out of it. I just got the fuck out, which actually might have been pretty good for me. Once you spend some time away from social media and you adjust to the absence of endorphins or dopamine or whatever, it feels like you're out camping in the wild or something every day. The problem was I wasn't using that space to be present or aware of myself. I was just obsessing and working and ignoring even more. And I was just starting to feel more than ever that I had really overstayed my welcome in Chicago. By the time I left, I had been there for a decade. I'd been there since I was 18. And I mean, that's where I grew up as an adult. And at first, Chicago felt nothing or Chicago felt like nothing but momentum. It was getting to know the venues, eventually figuring out how to play the small ones, then getting to play the medium-sized ones, getting to know the small bands, then the medium-sized bands, becoming friends, doing shows together. But I was never able to pass the threshold of medium, of the middle. My band was never asked to open for touring bands or anything, and we never fell in with the nationally popular local acts. After my band had done our big release for our show, we just hit a wall and I couldn't book us a show anywhere. And I mean, a lot of people were leaving Chicago too. I was friends with a lot of comics. I, I know I've mentioned a lot this before. Maybe I'm just refreshing myself, but I'd go to these comedy shows and I'd be a musical guest and I... Loved how they had this community that commingled the beginners and the long timers. And I started to see these people who were fucking beginners who were hard to watch at these open mics at first would go on to quickly, within a matter of a few years, go on and move to New York or LA, get on TV, get hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. And, and that movement, that pace, it, it just at, at this, at that point in my life, it just made me feel stagnant, stagnant by comparison. And at this point in the narrative, I don't think I had that many good friends left. At the time of my deepest isolation, I was pretty, pretty much just performing as a guest on comedy shows and hanging out with my friends Sarah and Logan. Sarah and Logan, of course, uh, my collaborators for most of the videos that I've released as Calvero. And the comedy shows were just starting to get weird for me because so many people had moved away who I came up with. It just kind of made me feel like life was passing me by, that I used to be the young guy at these shows and now I was in my late 20s and all these new young people were showing up. And I guess how that's fucking time works, huh? <laughs> but, but I wasn't really getting much out of performing at these comedy shows anymore. My attitude had been that I always liked how comics treated their time on stage as an opportunity to build and perfect their act. They'd try shit out. Some shit would work, some wouldn't. They'd record it, take notes, and eventually in that process, they'd build a set that they could perform at bigger clubs. That's just a level of uh, failure endurance that I was not built for at that time. 
But I was kind of trying to do the same thing for myself. Since I was keeping my head down and isolating myself and just writing music in my room, I always accepted invitations to guest on these smaller comedy shows, mostly because I didn't want to lose my muscle as a performer. But also, as I was working on material for my new music, I wanted some space to figure out my persona and my energy for my new project. And as I talked about in episode two, I used that space to sing covers, to sing to karaoke tracks or whatever, just so I could let loose on stage and just see what felt good, what was working. I mean, being a musician at a comedy show is kind of rough because people just talk through your set. It's a little dejecting to see people sit and listen and react to the comics and then talk through the music, treat it kind of like an intermission. And that's all fine and good when you're being paid to sing at a wedding or a wine bar or whatever, but because that's the job that you're getting paid for. But when you're showing up like all the other comics and maybe getting paid with a drink ticket to perform and express your art in front of people and you just get fucking talked over, it can feel like shit, particularly if you are in the frame of mind that I was at that point. But of course, it can always be worse than that, which (laughs) which we'll get to. So I was challenging myself to just be really good and to be really weird and that if I could keep people's attention in this environment, that that meant that I was really onto something. And at this time, I was going down to the Harold Washington Library downtown every day that I could and use their practice rooms and I was just drilling my vocals. And I was really trying to push myself to become a better singer and I was choosing songs like total eclipse of the heart or I don't want to miss a thing and I was just pushing myself to be able to sing higher and to sing better and in retrospect the technique wasn't totally there yet and and I think I'm actually just settling into that now but my whole idea was I wanted to be a really good singer and an impressive singer and I thought that these comedy shows would be the way that I would test my progress Because my act was basically, I'd sing to karaoke tracks, My Way by Frank Sinatra, Total Eclipse, in a tank top. And it was so dumb and it was so uncreative. But I thought that the only way it would work would be if I sang them really, really well. And I also uh, was putting a lot of pressure on myself for that moment in time. There was, first of all, I felt like things might be lining up for me and that my moment was about to come, even though the moment would be happening older than I had hoped. (laughs) And we're talking like age 28, 27 maybe, which is funny to uh, look back on as a 33-year-old. But but yeah, that uh, I just like, I thought that I had to be fully formed and fully arrived soon at this moment. And that just put in an, an enormous amount of pressure when in retrospect, you have to just accept that, that where you're at in your art, your performance or your practice, it's just always growing and it's always, you're always moving it forward and getting better. It's a lifelong process. I think it was episode three, we talked a lot about that, that what's the point if you if you achieve perfection, then there's no point of uh, 
of doing anything else because you've already made something perfect. That's something this guy, Devin Townsend, uh, who I've talked a lot about on here, has said time and time again. So yeah, I had all this pressure that I had to be the singer that I wanted to be now. And these comedy shows were basically my my way of knowing that I was where I needed to be for myself with the enormously high standards that I'd set for myself. So anyways, self-esteem's at an all-time low. I have no self-worth and I'm invited to do this comedy show by my friend Ian Abramson, who's since like pretty much everyone else uh, I knew from Chicago moved to Los Angeles and, and I found out that there was this comedian who was going to be on the show who was kind of famous, who was on TV, who was touring at a big theater in, in town and this was going to be just like a little pit stop show and I was really excited because I really valued proximity to fame, proximity to show business. And I even got to imagining that I'd blow them away with my set and they'd invite me to their show in town or whatever. So so I got on stage at the show and I do my shtick. And I'll say, just as I was insecure about everything in my life, I was very insecure about my voice. And I knew it wasn't where I wanted it to be, but I had at least hope that my energy... And my surrender to the moment would be endearing and, and make for uh, make for an inspiring and enjoyable performance. But nevertheless, singing in front of people is a very vulnerable thing to do in front of people to be judged by. But anyways, I did the bit. I'm in my tank top. I sing to my way in total eclipse of the heart. I give it all I got. I think I do okay. I'm obviously insecure when I get off stage, as I am about most things at the time. Um, so I get off stage, a couple acts go on, and then this touring comedian, this comic from TV, who, by the way, is much more famous now, goes on stage and basically does a hot 15 minutes about how much I fucking sucked. Like, they complain that I just got on stage in a tank top and saying karaoke songs but just not nearly as well as the original singers and they couldn't believe that I did that and it just went on and on and on and I was just standing in the background and I was just trying to laugh but everyone was would just be like looking back at me and I it felt like a movie moment of just like trying to laugh and then, and then I just felt um the frown become unrelenting it just went on and on and on and it was fucking brutal because it was basically my own personal worst meanest thoughts that I can think of about myself or feel about myself or fear about myself and it was set on stage in front of many strangers by a famous person on TV at a time where I put a lot of value and a lot of authority into people with show business success whereas in reality you know what a lot of people who have a lot of money and have had a lot of success are fucking assholes. They're pieces of shit and they don't know what it's like to really struggle or they forget what it's like to be at that point. They don't remember what it's like to be somebody who was me at the time, who was just trying to figure shit out and just trying to do their best. And that's really a danger that we have in our society of 
finding so much merit in people just because they find success or critical acclaim, whatever, that that gives them authority and that makes them someone to look up to. When a lot of those people, again, are fucking assholes. That's maybe why Trump became president. Because so many Republicans, and frankly, a lot of Democrats, but these Republicans have this mentality that having money means that you earned it and that you are inherently good. It's that uh, Protestant or that Puritan, what is it, Puritan or Protestant value of just work is goodness. And then people see the, the people on in poverty on food stamps and they think that they're there not for systemic reasons, not because of society, but because they deserve to be there because they're not hard workers, because they're lazy. And then they see someone like Donald Trump, who's a fucking billionaire, maybe he says he is, but they see him and they see him with all his money and they see godliness. They see he must have it together. He's been on TV. He's married to a model. He's a billionaire. So this is this is the guy. This is the guy to be my fucking dad, basically. Wow. Okay. So that was um, that was a bit of a tangent I didn't expect to go on. I hope that that uh, that still works with the soothing music I'm I'm going to layer under this. But yeah, I mean that was a very awful moment, and particularly an awful moment for that point in my life. And I just left the venue in the middle of their rant about me because I just couldn't take it. And I started crying. <laughs> and I, you know, my two friends, Ian and, and my friend Matt, uh, who had put the show together, they were trying to tell me that I did a good show and they were very apologetic. Um, but I just left in the middle of the rant and and I was on the top floor of that hotel, the Virgin Hotel. So I had to go down all these floors. I forget how many floors, but I had to go down this big elevator and to just have this all ringing in my ears and then walking downtown to the train. And I think this was midnight or 1 a.m. And I started getting texts from friends who were at the show and apologized and asked how I was doing. And, and it felt really good, but I just took it really badly. And, and um, I was not in a place to shake it off because I believed it. I believed what that person said and my entire self-worth was attached to who I felt I was as a singer, as a performer, as a musician. And I really did not have much of an inner or outer life beyond it. And I just fucking crumbled. And I felt like all my momentum had gone away. I thought I was making progress as a singer, but this seemed to prove that I wasn't, that I was delusional. I dreamed of becoming someone like this comic, someone who was successful, who could tour be on TV, be powerful. And this just hammered in that I was not one of those people. And so at this point, I, if, if I had any urge to go out or go to a bar or perform at a comedy show, I think I certainly, I maybe did a few, but that was pretty much the end of me doing that because I was just so embarrassed and ashamed of myself. And I kept writing and sending out songs for this artist in, out in L.A. And a lot of songs would come out, but nothing that I had written on. And so I felt like a failure in that regard, too, that I wasn't 
working hard enough or I wasn't good enough and that I had this once in a lifetime opportunity and I fucking blew it like I blew everything else. And my two close friends, Saren Logan, who I talked a lot about in my first episode, I, I'd been through so much with them and they were such good friends who really knew me better than most people and still do. That's not past tense, but they were my biggest source of comfort. And even when I was at the most isolated, I would walk the mile or so to their apartment from mine and just hang out and just kind of it was a safe space for me to get out of my own head. And uh, they let me know that they were getting married and moving to L.A. And I was so happy for them and excited for them. But I also was really feeling like I was getting stuck and left behind. And I just didn't know what to do about it. And I was so deep in my ruminations and my depression that I couldn't think of any of this in a constructive way and I just fucking deteriorated. And I, I really just just kind of fell into this depressive, obsessive blob of inaction. And so I, I want to actually stop here for this episode because this, this one's getting kind of long. And I don't like these to be too long, so let's stop here. And the next episode, I promise I'll do my best to, to not take too long with the next one but we'll pick things up and i'll tell you about how this led to my rock bottom <laughs> hopefully the rock bottom of my life and and how that led to me having to leave chicago and and uh and we'll get there but thank you for listening and i'll talk to you soon again if you've been listening and enjoying the pod i always love to hear from you you can send me an email that i'll leave in my show notes it's just nice that people to know that people are listening and that I'm not just speaking into the void. Again, consider joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sings. Again, you can find a link for that in my show notes. And I'll talk to you soon, I promise. And we'll do the second half of this story. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.